Now turn with me in your Bibles to the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 3. And our text this evening will be the first five verses. And this will be the uh, final installment, the final sermon from our series in the Minor Prophets. We've gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through all 12 of the Minor Prophets, and now we've been uh, we've gone back through them a little bit and uh, bid a final farewell to several of them and selected a gospel passage from each of them. And this is the final one in the series, and Lord willing, next time I'm with you, uh, we'll begin a series in Ecclesiastes. But uh, for tonight, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And that's the reading of God's word. Let's ask him now to bless his word to us. Father in heaven, show us Christ tonight. Teach us the gospel and grant us love for the one who laid down his life for us. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Quite some time ago, uh, Ray Mahurl gave me a book. Uh, uh, it was titled House to House by David Bellavia, who's a um, former uh, infantry squad leader in the U.S. Army, a staff sergeant. And the book was uh, some of uh, Bellavia's memoirs uh, from his experience in combat, he was uh, in the very thick of the most intense uh, period of the uh, war in Iraq. And um, Ray gave it to me because, of course, uh, of my uh, being in the Army. And there were several mentions in the book of chaplains that he thought I would especially resonate with. And, uh, the book was, uh, as you might expect, uh, if you've ever read memoirs of a combat veteran, uh, described lots of the, uh, the terrible experiences of war. And beyond the, uh, the, the rigors and, the, and the, just the terror of combat itself, just the hardships, especially the infantrymen and people whose boots are on the ground right there in the thick of things, the things that they endure, the things that they suffer. Um, and I was reminded by this passage of one account that the author gives of when he and his squad were on a night mission going through a portion of the city. 
and they had to navigate near a residential area. Now, uh, if, you, if you know, you may know this or you may not, um, the, the, the Middle Eastern peoples generally don't like dogs very much, but they'll keep dogs for security. And of course, you know, dogs have very sensitive noses and some of these areas where they were going through, these residential sections, they, the, the soldiers knew that there would be dogs and the dogs would pick up on their scent and it would give their presence away because they're having to go uh, in a clandestine way in the, through this certain territory. And so in order to prevent the dogs from picking up on their scent, what they had to do was they navigated through what was essentially a, uh, a sewage ditch. And for a good bit of the time, they were literally up to their chests or even their shoulders in basically sewage. There's even a point where they encountered a pipe that went over across the top of the ditch. So to get past it, what did they have to do? They had to actually go under. And so these soldiers were just covered in the grossest stuff you can imagine. It's repulsive to think about, but the vision that Zechariah saw here of Joshua the high priest is comparable. The high priest was wearing garments that were filthy. And we see, of course, what the angel of the Lord did to remedy that. Now, the book of Zechariah is the longest of the 12 books of minor prophets, and it also happens to be the one of the 12 that is most quoted in the New Testament. And the first six chapters of Zechariah consist of uh, what we've come to know as night visions, because the best we can tell, these are a series of visions that Zechariah saw in the night, and probably all in the same night, as best we can tell. And chapter 3 is the fourth of those visions. And these visions were given to encourage the faithful remnant among the returned exiles in Israel. And this vision, the one that we see right here, the one that Zechariah recounts in chapter 3, I think is one of the clearest gospel illustrations in all of Scripture. And so I want you to see that with me tonight. I want you to see from this passage that in the gospel, our sins are imputed to Christ. They're credited to him. And his righteousness is imputed to us. That's what the gospel is all about. The filthiness of our sins laid on Christ, and he goes to the cross bearing them for us. But his spotless, glorious, beautiful righteousness is placed on us. That's the gospel. And so we'll look at three things tonight. First, we're going to consider these filthy garments that Joshua was dressed in. Then we'll consider the pure vestments with which the angel of the Lord ordered him to be clothed. And then finally, we'll consider our substitute, who is none other than Christ Jesus the Lord. So first of all, filthy garments. What we have in Zechariah 3 is, is basically a courtroom scene. And in this courtroom scene, Satan is acting as the prosecutor. It says he's standing to accuse. And in fact, that's what the name Satan, in Hebrew, it's Satan. Hmm? Uh, so it just comes right into English for us that way. But it's, it's actually a proper name when it applies to the, the prince of the demons, but it's also uh, just a regular uh, 
noun, and it means adversary or accuser. And that's exactly what Satan does. We see that in the New Testament as well. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it speaks of this one, this, the, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, as the accuser of the brethren. And how he accuses us day and night before God. And in this vision, who is the accused? Well, this is a big problem, you see, because the accused is none other than Joshua, the high priest. And that's tragic on several counts. Uh, Joshua was actually a, a, a historic person. He was the high priest in the days, or at least in some of the days, of Zechariah. So we're not talking about Joshua, the one that led the people into the promised land. That was many centuries before Zechariah. There was a Joshua, Yehoshua, who was the high priest of the people after they had come back to the land from exile. And that's the one that Zechariah was seeing. He was seeing the, the actual high priest of God's people. And he's the accused. And this is tragic on several counts. Because, first of all, what was the high priest's uh, what was his status? What did he represent? He represented holiness to the Lord. And when God was giving Moses the directions of how to build the tabernacle and all the furnishings of it, he also gave Moses directions on how to, how to create these beautiful garments for the high priest to wear. They're made of the same fabric as the inside part of the, of the tabernacle, the holy place. So the, the, the hangings and the, the tapestries on the inside of, of the holy place in the tabernacle, the high priest's clothing was made of the same stuff. They were beautiful, and God made them, ordered that they be made for that very purpose. He says so, for beauty and for glory. Because the high priest represented the holiness of God. He represented holiness to God, and there he is on trial being accused. The high priest is the person who represented the people before God. He's the one who advocated for the people before the Lord God. He's the one who made intercession for the whole nation. And in that sense, it was expected and it was a foregone conclusion that the high priest, well, he was the best of the best. He represented holiness. He's the one that had to stand before God in behalf of the people. And yet, what we find in this vision is that the people's representative was defiled. And he wasn't dressed in beautiful garments, he's dressed in filthy garments. And the problem is that if the people's representative is defiled, then so are they. They don't have an adequate representative before God if the one who's presuming to stand there as the high priest is dressed in filthy rags. And so these filthy garments, then, they are a visual portrayal of sinfulness and of impurity. And if you look at the text, and it says uh, that Joshua was clothed in filthy garments, perhaps for some of you that brought to mind the, uh, the words that we find in Isaiah 64. Familiar words when we talk about depravity, when we talk about the sinfulness of man, and it says that all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. 
You've heard those words before, right? And the simile that's used in Isaiah, as well as the one that's used here, is intended to evoke a sense of disgust. That's why I used the opening illustration that I did. Now, the word that's used in Isaiah about our, all our righteousness being like filthy rags and the word that's used here in Zechariah are actually two different Hebrew words, but they essentially convey the same thing. Um, they express the same loathing and disgust that we're intended to, uh, to get out of these descriptors. Joshua's filthy garments are a picture of human sin, including your sin and mine. Joshua wasn't just wearing inappropriate clothing. You know how if you show up someplace and you realize, I didn't, I didn't dress appropriately for this occasion or this event. You know, maybe I'm underdressed, maybe I'm overdressed. That happens. But that's not what's at work here. He's not just inappropriately dressed. He's not just, say, covered with cat hair, like sometimes I accidentally show up at church, you know, with cat hair all over my dark suit. And uh, It wasn't like that. He's, he's not just wearing dirty clothes. They are filthy clothes. One commentator explained it this way. He said, the word for filthy found is only found here in the Old Testament. In other words, the, the, the word translated in, in Zechariah 3.3 as filthy, that's the only place that Hebrew word occurs in the entire Hebrew Bible. It's only found here in the Old Testament, but it is closely related to two Hebrew nouns used for human excrement and vomit. So that's what's at work here. It's not just, oh, honey, that, that, those garments, your priestly garments are dirty. Throw them in the laundry. I'll clean them up. No, we're talking about things that are just filthy with the worst, most disgusting stuff on them. So if you want to know how God views sin, think about that. God hates sin. It offends him. It disgusts him. And that's what these filthy garments recommend. But what happens is, as Joshua is standing there on trial, the one who's supposed to represent holiness, but he's clothed in filthy garments, the Lord rebukes Satan. He rebukes the accuser. Now, it, he does it in a way that maybe sounds a little odd to us. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Does that sound a little strange? You wonder why it's worded that way? Well, uh, drawing a little bit of help from another commentator, uh, one wrote that it seems strange for the Lord himself to say the Lord rebuke you, but its meaning is I who am the Lord rebuke you. And it assures us, the reader, that Satan's accusations are completely set aside. Joshua was the object of God's pity, the object of God's mercy. God himself says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I read that John Wesley, when he was 10 years old, his, his uh, family home caught on fire, and the family fled from the home to escape the fire, but John was still trapped in a second-story room. And... He was able to get to a window and, he, and leap from the window into the arms of a neighbor 
And from that point on, his mother referred to him as a brand plucked from the fire. Someone rescued out of doom in the flames. Joshua was an object of God's pity, but more importantly even, he was an object of God's pity because he was chosen. He was an object of God's pity because he was elect of God. He was snatched from burning. A lot of times uh, with married couples, there's something or other that's been around the house for a long time. Maybe it's been in the closet for a long time. A lot of times what happens is one or the other, it's not necessarily the husband or the wife in every single case, you know, because there's always the one who probably has more of a tendency to want to hang on to things, and the other's got more of a tendency to say, just get rid of it, you know. Uh, and so they disagree about, should we throw this out, just lose it, be done with it, or no, let's save it. Um, so maybe the one who's more inclined to get rid of stuff throws something in the trash, and then the other uh, sees it in the trash and says, no, 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 and takes it out. It's, it's, uh, it's humorous because we, uh, we all experience it, but, but imagine God pulling you out of the fire because Satan is saying he belongs in the fire and God is saying no. I'm going to draw him out. Satan demands judgment. The Lord God extends mercy. So the Lord rebukes Satan, and then the angel, it says, gives a, this glorious command. He orders the removal of Joshua's filthy clothes. Now, we've got an explanation as to exactly what that means, too, because this is a vision that Zechariah is seeing, right? But the text explains it for us, because visions symbolize things, but words illuminate. And so we see verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him, and then we get the explanation of what that represents, what exactly it's pointing to, what it means. He says, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And so the removal of the filthy garments represents taking away of iniquity, taking away of sin. Hallelujah. The thing is, now Joshua needs something else to wear, doesn't he? And God provides that too. He provides pure vestments. That's our second point. You know how good it feels? Like if you've been working out in the yard and you're really sweaty, or you've had a really good workout and you're just covered with sweat and your clothes, your workout clothes are soaked through and, or whatever. You know, you get filthy outside somehow or other. How good it feels to take off those dirty clothes and take a shower or a bath and then put on clean clothes. Feels wonderful, doesn't it? Well, how much better Infinitely better than that, is it? To have sin removed, washed away. How much better is it to be clothed, not just in a fresh set of clothes, but in righteousness? Well, after the Lord says, see, I've taken your iniquity away from you, he then says, I will clothe you with pure vestments. Vestments is how the ESV chose to translate it. Uh, the Hebrew word can mean festal garments. In other words, something you'd wear to a, a, a really important and special celebration of some kind. Wedding garments, we might say. 
But when the ESV translators chose to use the word vestments, what they were seeking to convey is that these were not just clean clothes. It's not just that God took away the dirty garments and gave them clean things to wear, uh, and not even simply that they're really fine clothes. But these are priestly garments. You know, we use that word vestment even uh, in modern English, don't we? To refer to what a clergyman might wear. Now, Pastor Mark and I don't wear robes here, uh, but in a lot of Reformed churches, pastors do, and especially maybe for something special like a wedding, they'll actually wear a robe. We refer to something that a clergyman might wear as a vestment. And the angel says, that's what I'm going to put on you. I'm going to put clean vestments, pure vestments on you. Vestments as in clothing that would be appropriate for a person of high standing particularly a priest. And just as uh, the filthy garments were a portrayal, a visual portrayal of sinfulness and impurity and defilement, pure vestments are a visual portrayal of holiness. And they were even that in the Old Testament. They were even that in those vestments that Aaron, the high priest, wore. They were exactly that. And so it that's what God is giving to Joshua. He's calling to be provided for him. And in this vision of Joshua, as well as in the vestments that Aaron wore and that the high priest, generation after generation, wore, they didn't belong to the high priest. They didn't come from him. He didn't sew his own garments. He didn't go and buy them. They were a gift. A gift from God. So the filthy garments are taken away, pure vestments are given, Joshua is clothed in them. And it reminded me of how we find frequently in the New Testament, language that involves putting off and putting on. We see it a lot, don't we, in, in the New Testament. And that oftentimes in the New Testament, when we're reading of putting off and putting on, it's a description of sanctification. So like in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, where, where Paul writes, put off your old self. That, that way of life that characterized you before you were in Christ, put that off. And then a couple of verses later, he says, put on the new self. Put on who you are in Christ. A holy person. And they're expressed, when we find language like that in the New Testament, they're almost always expressed in terms of imperatives. Do this. In other words, this is something we are involved in. We're not passive entirely in this. We actually go through the process in, in the power of the Holy Spirit and in cooperation with him, but we put off the old self. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a command for us to do it. And we put on the new self. So there's this synergy. It's something we do in the power of the Spirit that he helps with, and, and really we can't possibly do without him. But we are involved. But at the same time, even our work in that regard is rooted in the work God does within us. Now I say, the putting off and putting on language we see in the New Testament, I think that's usually and mostly a portrayal of sanctification. 
I think what we're seeing here in Zechariah chapter 3 is mostly a portrayal of justification because it's something God does and God alone. You didn't have anything to do with your justification. That was a gracious work. That was a gracious act of God and God alone. Taking away the filthy garments of our sin, giving us the pure vestments of the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ, I say, which brings us to our final point, that Christ is our substitute. Look at the very end of verse 5 in our text. What does it say? The angel of the Lord was standing by. The angel of the Lord, in other words, is the one who ordered this action to be taken. He observed it as it was being done, and he approved of it. The whole thing. Satan stood to accuse. The angel of the Lord stood to defend. And the angel was Christ. When you encounter, particularly in the Old Testament, the phrase, the angel of the Lord, by and large, maybe not in every single case, but most of the time, when you read of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you're probably looking at an Old Testament pre-incarnate manifestation or reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Godhead. The angel was Christ, the one whose work that was yet to come, but surely would come, would enable not just Joshua, not just the high priest, but all of the elect to have their filthy garments taken away and to be dressed in the pure vestments of Christ. And this brings to center stage the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is our substitute. What do I mean by that? <coughs> pure vestments represent righteousness. And we're not talking about an imaginary righteousness here. We're not talking about something that's just fantasy or uh, you know, imagined. You know, if a, uh, if a person is invited to speak at the graduation of a, of a college or university, especially if the person, the invited guest speaker, is a celebrity of some kind, what will often happen, maybe you've seen this, the institution will confer upon that person who has come to speak at graduation an honorary doctorate. It's kind of symbolic more than anything else, but it's not an earned doctorate, and we make distinctions that way, don't we? I mean, there's, there's an earned doctorate in some field or other, and then there are honorary doctorates. We don't need honorary righteousness. We need real righteousness. Earned righteousness. God's law had to be kept, and no one had kept it since the garden. So pure vestments represent righteousness. Filthy garments represent the guilt and the pollution and the defilement of sin. And this, too, is real. Mankind, you and I, have a very real problem. And the problem is we're guilty. The problem is we're culpable. We are sinners in God's sight. And sin isn't just something that God can brush off. Sin isn't something that God can just let go. Because he's a holy God. And when he's 
announcing himself and describing and proclaiming his name to Moses in Exodus 34. He says, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Or even in the third commandment, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The charges against man's sin are never simply dismissed. They're never simply swept under the rug or let go because God is just and as a just judge the penalty for sin must be paid so we need righteousness and the penalty for our sins has to be paid and on both counts Jesus Christ is our substitute he lived a perfect life of obedience and his obedience was credited to us He went to the cross bearing the sins of all the elect. You get to wear, in other words, you get to wear his pure vestments and he took on your filthy garments and mine. So in the gospel, our sins are imputed to Christ and he carried them to the cross and his righteousness is imputed to us. The longer we walk with Christ, the more fully we uh, sense this, the more fully we understand it. The longer we walk with Christ, the more fully we sense our own unworthiness, but also the more fully we perceive and can see by faith his glorious righteousness. That's why in our hymnody we sing things like a debtor to mercy alone. Or things like Hallelujah, what a Savior. Things like, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? We sing things like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And in this life, even as we grow in our understanding of these things we still only perceive a fraction of our sinfulness and only perceive the first glimpses of the unfathomable love of god for us it's not until glory that we'll entirely grasp what christ has done for us and so that's why in this closing hymn we're about to sing we're going to sing then lord shall i fully know not till then how much i owe thanks be to god Let's pray. Father in heaven, we were clothed in filthy garments, just as you did with Joshua the high priest in this vision that Zechariah saw. You've taken away our filthy garments. You clothed us in pure vestments. For this, uh, we give you our endless thanks. And we pray for the grace to walk in this newness of life that you provided for us and that you would get all the glory for it. And we thank you for Christ, our substitute. Help us to grow in our love for him, in our understanding of this unfathomable work that he's done for us. We give you thanks for it and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.